0: Give us a greater revelation of the blood. We might experience the power of your word that says that revelation of the blood cleanses our conscience from dead works. We might be free from the past, mistakes, the things that we've done. In the cleansing of that, we might see the future that we have in serving you with all of our heart. Knowing that we don't have to go back under the condemnation of sin and the things we've done wrong. But we can live in the freedom of the redemption and the righteousness that only comes because you shed your blood for us. So we ask you for the wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of that. That Through that revelation, through the understanding of the covenant that we have through the blood. The impact of that covenant, the power of that covenant. We might go out every day with understanding of how it impacts our life. What it would do for others. We might grasp a wisdom, an application of it. We might see the truth of being doers of the word and not hearers only. The experience of the blessing of the word, you said, is in doing it. Not just hearing it, but hearing it that we might... Speak it out that we might apply it to our lives, and in that application, revelation, greater revelation of the future and the blessing of God comes through the action, through the doing. So, we thank you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Open it up the magnitude of it, the revelation of it to our hearts and our lives that it might be understandable and it might be able to be applied, just as the blood can be applied. So we give you glory and honor, praise, and thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and in every life by your word and your spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. 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 Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Man, it's a great day. It's our day. Amen. It's the day, the dispensation of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a dispensation of the Holy Spirit. So it's our day. Everything around you might say, you know what? Uh, The government's having their time. The world's having its time. But it's the day of the church and the spirit of the living God. So it's our day. So if we wake up in the morning and say, this is my day. This is the day the Lord's made for me. I can rejoice and I can be glad in it, in this day. And get rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is your strength to make it through every day. So the enemy obviously will come to do what? Try to diminish your strength. When we realize it's my day. This is not the devil's day. This is my day. I'm a carrier of the life of God. And in that, I carry the light of God. And so light never dispels darkness. We get afraid to go places because maybe it's a dark place. And we think, you know, that darkness will just overwhelm me. It can't overwhelm you. Unless you put your light under a bushel. That's why Jesus said, don't put your light under a bushel. Because when you go into darkness with your light under a bushel, then darkness swallows that up. But wherever light shines, darkness goes. You can't walk into a dark place and have it overwhelm you unless you cover your light. But if you go in with the light of life, light always dispels darkness. You never turned on a light and had darkness just swallowed up. No, you turn on light and darkness goes away. It's our day to be light wherever we go, to walk in the very light of the life of Jesus. Amen? Look at somebody next to say, you are the light of the world. world. Say it again, you are the light of the world. world. Praise the Lord. Lord. So shine bright wherever you go. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter. Just want to uh, talk about some things this morning, it, it continue in our series of messages. And, and in this one, we're talking about marriage mindsets. I want to just uh, cover a few things, review a few things, and then get into uh, our subject. But Romans chapter 12, really the whole scope of what we're talking about. Romans chapter 12, verses 1, uh, verse starting in verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service." Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Well, God, Jesus gave his whole life, his whole body to us as a sacrifice for our sin. And he says it's only reasonable that we understand how we give our life, give our our functioning of our body unto him for every good work. And sometimes we discount that. We think our body is our own. We can do whatever we want to. But the Bible says your body is not your own. You were bought With the price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, once you get that revelation or that understanding, it's easier to go about life knowing what you should give yourself to or your actions to. He goes on to tell us that, you know, in Romans chapter 6, actually prior to this, he says, once you know that you're redeemed, that you're, your, your life is brand new, you're forgiven of your sin, there's a brand new life. He said, you, you walk in that, but if you give your members or you give your life over in conduct to sin, sin will grab you and try to control you again. He said, but now if you give, you understand what happened in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, that you died to sin with him. You were buried. The penalty was paid. You raised to a newness of life. He said, then live in that newness of life. And when you do, that newness of life, that righteousness will govern your whole life. The knowledge that I've been made right with God. I'm no longer separated from him through trespass and sin. I'm joined to God, the life of God. So I don't have to go out and fulfill every desire of my flesh, every desire that wants. But I have a, a place in God through righteousness. So he goes on to say there's a part of this serving God. It's with our bodies. But he also says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, You, you need to, uh, if you'll be conformed to this world. There's so much information out in the world. How, there's stuff coming at you, uh, bits of information, 90 to nothing are coming at you. And, and it's all to squeeze you, one translation says, to squeeze you into the world's mold or the world's ideology or the world's mindset. And it just keeps coming at you. And he said, But you're not to be squeezed into the world's mold by all the information that's coming that begins to govern or dictate the course that the world is going. He said, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we just went that way because there was no other way to go. And it's all dictated by the prince of the power of the air. It all appeals to the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh that take you away from God. The world system is adrift from God. It's going away from God, not to God. He said, but when you transform your life by what? The renewing of your mind. So instead of the, all the information that's coming from the world, you have a mindset or you develop a mindset of the Word of God. Everything that pertains to life and godliness can be found in here. It says everything that pertains to life and godliness comes to us through the knowledge of Him. So He was so gracious to us. He gave us His Word. Everything in His Word describes who He is, what He did for us, how we now live in relationship with Him. It's all there so that we can look at it and say, this is God's will. So many people are discouraged in life. They feel like, you know, life is so difficult. Why doesn't somebody give me an answer for life? And they, why isn't God doing what God's supposed to do? And if you ask them, well, what is God supposed to do? They don't know. They don't know. They just feel like God should be doing more. But God never said he would do more. Or what he said he would do, they don't know that he said that because they haven't really spent time in his word. So he says, you need to renew your mind so that you can know what is the will of God for your life. Without that, you'll go guessing what God should do for you. And then when he doesn't, you become disappointed. You become doubtful. That's all a strategy of the enemy, to get you to doubt God. So in Ephesians, he goes a little bit farther in this. He says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Somebody say the spirit of your mind. So be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you might put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. So you came into a new life in Christ. He said, you put on your new man. How do I do that? By being renewed in the spirit of my mind. And so in one place, he says, renew your mind to the word of God. So you get into the word of God. You begin to intellectually memorize, begin to look at what God says, the situations that exist there. But God wants to go farther. He wants to go to the spirit of your mind. God wants the word of God, which is alive. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, the word of God is alive. Somebody say alive. alive. The word of God is alive. It's quick. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That that word is able to penetrate through your soul into your spirit. In other words, the word of God can begin to break through, not just uh, taken and, and now I, I know what this says as opposed to this. I know what this writing says as opposed to this writing. But because it's alive, it goes down and it begins to settle in you. And it not only renews your mind but it also begins to renew your subconscious mind. And so the battle that we have is like, I got the word of God, I went to church, but I have these things. You ever had? you're rolling along and just out of nowhere, you have a thought. No matter what you're confessing, out of nowhere, you have a thought. You're not worthy. You have something. Oh, my God, the world's coming to an end. We don't have anything. Oh, man, I'm approaching a a certain place in my life. What's going to happen? What's going to happen with my my kids? And all of a sudden, just stuff. And in that stuff, worrying about your kids, you start to all of a sudden think about your life, the wounds of your life, and just stuff gets stirred up. From where? Where'd that come from? From the subconscious mind. But God says, my word has power not just to renew your thinking, But those things that come out of nowhere, that psychology is called the subconscious mind or the spirit of your mind, the Bible, the word of God, enlightened by the spirit of God, has the power to change your subconscious mind. To start to do away with those things that the enemy creeps into subconsciously in the dark. God brings light on. Amen. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So he continually says, and gets us to this point of don't be going along with the world in its systems and its processes, but we be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And so, if we're not careful, it's very subtle, we just start going along with with the world in every area. We're going to talk about marriage mindsets here, and the world has really encroached on marriage, and they're endeavoring to do that more and more. If you were here last week, we talked about that, the purpose of marriage, the covenant of marriage, what that means. We'll we'll, we'll get a little bit into that today, but I really feel impressed to just talk to you a little bit. We had, in our prayer time... uh, uh, staff prayer this week. We hit, uh, uh, you know, just a place of intercession. I actually saw in my mind while we were praying, people sitting in a really dark place, their, their legs crossed, hands over, and just rocking back and forth saying, oh God, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. Why is life so hard? Why is life so hard? And that's the enemy. Yes. Jesus did not in- ordain for life to be so hard. He didn't ordain for marriage. We're going to go there. He didn't ordain for marriage to be so hard. In fact, God had a plan for marriage to be easy. He said two are better than one. Two are better than one. He said one would put a 1,000 to flight. Two would put 10,000 to flight. God's design was like marriage wasn't supposed to be hard. Marriage was actually supposed to be Easier if you understood the mindset of God in it, but we get selfish, we get it our own way. We think of marriage in the way that we want to think about it, and we start pulling against one another instead of pulling for one another. So we got it wrong in the first service. They looked it up, conveyed to me a message, we got it wrong. But anyway, now we got it all right. But you know, when you hook up uh, draft horses, If you're going to pull pull a load with draft horses, and you have one draft horse, and it can pull, you know, say it can pull one ton, when you hook it, you you know, mentally, you just think your mindset is, well, if we want to pull two tons, then then we uh, uh, hook another uh, draft horse to do that. But actually, when you hook another draft horse to that load, it actually pulls four times more than just one. More times, four times more than just one. So God didn't intend for marriage to be harder. But if those two draft horses start fighting against one another and pulling against one another, they won't even be able to pull as much as the one horse could pull together. So we start getting that mindset about those things that God has said, I I don't want them to be hard. I didn't design them to be hard for the believer, But we get into the same mode. We hear the world talking about the time, the day that we live in, the generation that we live in. And if we're not careful, we just start to think the way that they do. And when we think the way that the world thinks about life and about our generation, the world is complicating it and makes it hard. And there's no anointing and there's no help and there's no unity in pulling that direction. So really, as we begin to pray, there was that place where we began to to, uh, pray that that thing be broken. Because Jesus said, if you are burdened and heavy laden, in other words, if you're saying life is so hard, then come unto me. Come unto me. Because my burden is light, my yoke is easy. He said, come and learn from me learn from me. I know we've said this before, but listen. He said, come and learn from me. Come and get into the word where the enemy's trying to attack church and and learning of the word and all those things. uh, He's doing that because he knows if the church comes unto him, looks at his word, looks at how he says to live life. Jesus came and lived life under persecution. He lived life under the threat of death all of his life He lived under all the temptation of sin, yet without sin. And then he broke the bonds of others and brought healing and deliverance. And he said, you could learn a thing or two about life and the rhythms of life from me. So listen, this is where religion comes in. Well, we go to church, but we don't really think of learning from Jesus because that was Jesus And we certainly couldn't be like Jesus. But Jesus said, you come and learn from me because when you got born again, you left the past behind, the struggle behind, the weight, the condemnation, the guilt, the shame of sin. You left it all behind. And then you came and got my life. And since you got my life, it would be to come to me and learn how to live that life. Because in all actuality, Living life with the power of the Holy Spirit is to be easy. My burden is like My yoke is easy. And when you're yoked to me, there's a rest in how far you go, how much you pull, how much weight you can carry. In fact, yoked to Jesus, your capacity for things grows. Right? So again, when we're talking about being yoked together with him... We're talking about a mindset, really, that fits into marriage, but it also fits into the understanding of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so this same mindset, this, this being so hard and being squeezed into the world's mold, you know, uh, not too long ago, I was talking to some business people in the church, just really right after church, talk to them, ask them how things were going. And I had heard this over and over as I talked to business people in the church. Uh, how's it going? Well, it's, it's tough right now. It's really tough right now, you cannot find workers. You just can't find workers. So we're working multiple hours over and over because we can't find workers. And so I'd heard that before and went, hmm, yeah, that, yep, that's what people are saying, that's what people are saying. But in this particular instance, right from the inside of me, I believe it's from the pastor on the inside of me. I said, now wait a minute, we're faith people. How many of you are faith people? Yeah. Right. We believe that we have the authority of the believer. So just on the inside, you know, when I was in Bible school, I was taught this, you know, in in one instance, and and we've applied it to different areas of life, and it's come out good. Uh, And so uh, it just came on the inside of me. Well, if, you know, and Alan has said this to us, well, if you keep saying what you have, you'll continue to have what you say. So if we keep saying there's no workers out there, there'll be no workers out there. But if we take our authority... So I said, just take your authority. When you're praying for workers, just take your authority. You can. You bind. You say, uh, God, we bind the enemy. We command him to take his hands off of the workers that you prepare to work in our business. Our business is ordained to you. We're Christian businessmen. We're in this for the purpose of the kingdom of heaven. So you have workers. We command you to take your hands off the workers that you've called here. And now we dispatch angels. Go, impress them, bring the workers in. Bring the workers in. Hmm, you know, even now you're like, hmm. It's a different mindset. It's a kingdom mindset. It's the will of God. It's the will of God that if you're working for him, you have workers. Yeah, but pastor, see how easily you can just drift to the mindset of the world. Yeah, but it's still hard it can be hard, but it doesn't have to be hard. Why does it get hard? Because you believe it's hard and you say it's hard. We're faith people. If you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, it actually comes to pass and it keeps repeating. So when we begin to say something different and believe it in our heart, some people say, well, I could say it. I said it 52 times for three days last week and nothing happened. Because you don't really believe it. You're trying it. But the more you put it in and believe it, believe there's workers out there, believe God has something for you, believe his burden is light and his yoke is easy, believe I can learn from him how to live life. I can learn from him and have power to overcome temptation. I can learn to walk out of guilt and shame. I can learn to pop out of my insecurities that have been heaped on me by different people and step out and say, you know what? God's got a plan for my life and I have significance wherever I go because the light of God is a upon my life. And I'm walking with him. I'm not walking without him. And we begin to get a mindset of that. And we begin to get it in our hearts. And then we say, listen, life's not so hard. Man, this challenge is going to be the easiest thing that I've ever done in my whole life. You know, we are getting ready to build this building and it did have a couple of obstacles. But somebody came up, and, and we were building the building, and people had said, you know, it's going to take this long, and, and uh, you know, you all have agreed with that, and, and in the whole realm, miraculous things have happened, the fact that all this property is paid off. I mean, it's just, you know, other people take, you know, 30 years, they refinance 30 years, uh, it's been a great blessing. But they said, you know, entering into that pro, uh, project, they said, um, God told me to tell you this will be... One of the easiest things you've ever done. People are telling me over, man, building a building, building that. You know, when you move into the building, you probably lose half the people because of the size of the building. All kinds of doomsday stuff that they could say, but God said it'll be the, one of the easiest things you've ever done. So, when times would get a little difficult, I'd say, "You said, it'd be the easiest thing we ever did." You said it'd be the easiest thing we ever did, and it came to be one of the easiest things we've ever done. I have to keep a mindset on that. We've done a couple remodels that were harder than building the building. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it's a mindset. You go into something, you're like, oh, here we go. But the big thing was the easiest thing we've ever done. Then something smaller than that becomes, oh God, it's so hard. Why? Because the enemy tries to change your mindset and get you out of faith in God and trust in your own ability. And now, your ability to handle anything of magnitude becomes difficult. Your ability to handle raising your children without God is difficult. Your ability to go to work and come home and be at any kind of conversational level with your spouse is hard. Proven it throughout the world. But with God, His burden is light, His yoke is easy. So part of this is about renewing our mind, getting a good mindset, and beginning to agree with God. Agree with God, because God put us together for a reason. And so even with that, the world will try to get you in a fixed mindset. Last three years, you know, with COVID, it's just been, everything's changed. I mean, three years later, we're still always going back to COVID. Man, somewhere just leave COVID in the past. This happened, you know, because COVID. My God, 20 years from now, are we going to go, life's hard because of COVID? (laughs) Come on, it's time to look up. He said, lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. Lift up your head. Begin to get a different outlook on life because God has that. God's not finished with us yet. That song is really Philippians chapter 1, verse 16. That the work that he's begun in you, he'll be faithful to complete it, to just look and say, Ha, huh, God's not done yet. I'm not finished yet. There's stuff to do. And that mindset that God's not finished with me yet caused you to look and ask Him, What is there to do? And when you look and say, There's something for me to do to be significant in life, joined with you, God, all of a sudden hope begins to arise. And with that expectation that hope arises, then you begin to attach faith to your hope. And now you create a momentum. That's going against the flow of the world. It's so hard. We're not able to do this. And you're getting a new outlook on life. Knowing I'm going to do this with him. Not without him. Amen. Which leads us to understanding a little bit bit more. About this mindset of marriage. Is not simply. Primarily we're talking about a husband and a wife. But not simply for that. Because it's a mindset of covenant. Covenant. It's a mindset of covenant. It carries out the importance of marriage to everything in culture. We talked about that last week, uh, how, you know, uh, mindsets and and empires have fallen. And uh, I was telling the first service, you know, in the last couple of months, I've heard more people talk about these studies about how empires have fallen and and the United States is following that same pattern uh, coming. And so even last week when I was studying some of that, uh, that uh, sociologist from Harvard in 19, I think it was 1942, came out with those seven things. We shared it last week seven things that come against gender, marriage, and family that were in every single one of those cultural uh, things that caused the empires to fall. And the importance of how family and culture, if you just understood it, a, a strong family makes strong churches, strong churches make strong communities, strong communities make a strong nation. Right? So strong families coming together as families makes you strong when the family is divided. And then a few families coming together creates a community or culture which the church is to become strong. The enemy knows this, so if he can break down family, two are better than one. We pull four times more together. Our capacity is increased four times more when we pull together than when we're apart. That would be a threat to anybody who wants to control you wouldn't it? So the enemy hates marriage. Why? Because if two come together and begin to agree on anything that they ask, the father will do it. So if I can get you in disagreement instead of agreement, I relinquish power. And then he carries that out into culture. So any culture that wants to dominate its people has to break the family down. It has to break the family down. Because now, if he's out of the way, you have to be dependent on something. So why not be dependent on me? So if I can weasel in there and break you up, then you are dependent. So, you know, so rather than getting mad at government, just stay with me, I know people are like, mm. rather than getting mad at government, if we focused on what God wants to do in the family. Because he, over a period of time, the enemy just didn't come in and destroy family. He started to work on it. He started to say, well, let's, get, let's go to the courts and get them to talk about discipline and correction. Let's go subtly changing how we're going to break down the family. So the church needs to say, listen, we need to reverse that. And we need to start slowly... Not going to all this outwards, but start working within the family. Working with the family. And how important that is. And that mindset. So Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Verse 13 from the Message Bible. says, here's the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Simple. Because God was there... As, you witnessed when, as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. Say God. God. Not me. Not made, marriage. made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. I like that. I keep meditating on that. Even the smallest details of marriage. How many of you, when you got into marriage, or if you're a young person, you're thinking about marriage, or if you have had a broken marriage and you're thinking you might get married someday, how many of you at the forefront of your thinking is the Spirit of God will inhabit every detail? Yeah. One. Yeah. One. Got to tell you, we talked about, prayed about our marriage. Was it the will of God? But I have to just tell you, I never thought about his spirit inhabiting every detail. And then you find out the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine then you look back and see, you know what? There were so many arguments over little details that looked like they didn't matter, but they ended up mattering. Why did they end up mattering and creating strife? Because we didn't let the Holy Spirit help us with that little detail. We took the personality conflicts, we took the little details, and we began to argue over them, created strife, create my way, not your way. I'm right, you're wrong. And in all that He says, where there's bitter envy and self-seeking, there's confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that comes from God is, first of all, peaceable. Second of all, willing to yield. Third of all, full of good fruit. He said, listen, there's a wisdom for your union that comes from God. And then there's a wisdom that's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And it says, my way or no way. So he said, listen, the spirit of God wants to inhabit every detail of your marriage. Every detail of your marriage. And what does God want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So, guard the spirit of marriage that is within you. Guard the spirit of marriage that is within you. So in other words, the spirit of marriage is in each and every one of us. The spirit of covenant union is on the inside of each and every one of us. The Bible says that he put eternity in our hearts. He always relates to us as the bride of Jesus. He's coming for his bride. He talks about marriage. He talks about a number of things, bringing that analogy, because there's a spirit of marriage on the inside of us. I want to ask you to raise your hand but young people how many of you think when I get married when I get married this is the way it's going to be people think about marriage why do I think about marriage when I'm not even married yet why do I hope to be married someday cuz there's a spirit of marriage. There's a spirit of union. There's a spirit of knowing that there's somebody out there that fits good, that makes life move forward easier. There's something on the inside, but we don't guard that spirit of marriage. We don't guard that spirit of marriage. We lend ourselves to sexual immorality, we lend ourselves over to the desires of the flesh and selfishness. And we develop selfishness so that when we get married to somebody, it's all about us and not about them because we didn't guard the spirit of marriage that was within us. So when we're talking about the spirit of marriage, I know you're going to think, well, I'm not married. It doesn't make a big deal. You desire to be married. You may be married someday and you are married to him. And so the principle just really works out in that manner. And there's so much to it that Peter addresses, here's the function of a husband, the function of a wife. And then he tells the husband, he says, dwell with your wife with understanding. Hmm. Most men don't really care to understand their wife. They don't even take time to understand their wife. All right, that went over big. It's just the truth. So Peter, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells husbands, Understand your wife. Dwell with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That'll stir people up today. I'm not weaker. Just go ahead and yield to it. It'll help you. Well, I can lift more than him. I could beat him up if I wanted to. Yeah, but that's not what he's talking about. see the world's already tried to change our mindset he said there's something about this union and this honor that'll cause you to fit into your place as a husband too much dishonor going on in marriage just too much dishonor because I don't like it it doesn't fit me right he says honor your wife as the weaker vessel and an heir together of the grace of life so he's telling the husband this. He tells the wife other things. But he tells the husband this. So God's smart enough because he knew how he created us. Most husbands like to gloss over this and just run to another scripture. They like to run to Ephesians 5. 20. She should submit to me, shouldn't she? Well, do you understand her? No, but she should submit to me, right? Well, she might if you would dwell with her with understanding. It's getting quiet. All the wives are going, oh my God, am I going to pay for this when I get home? Um, <laughs> of nope, you just have to change your mindset. Do you honor her? Well, let's, can't we get to her submitting to me? Not yet. Because even in Ephesians chapter 5, five of those verses pertain to the husband. Two to the wife. But our mindset is like, Christian marriage, wife submit. It does say that. I'm not going to take away from the word of God. But it says more to the husband. We like to pass over that thought, that mindset, but it's very important to understand what he's saying. So giving wife honors the wife as a weaker vessel, as an heir together of the grace of life. In other words, we're together inheriting the grace of life upon us, heirs together we're both together receiving grace for life as we live it together for our family. There's a grace of life. And the understanding of this, the mindset of this, he says, listen, if you don't do it, your prayers will be hindered. Now listen, we look at that and say, the husband, he's, he's affecting our prayers. Well, I'll just go back. You you look at what the, it says about the wife living in her conduct Not just in her words, but in her conduct, winning over her husband. He's not saying, husbands, you do this or your prayers will be hindered. He's saying, wives, listen to what I'm writing to you. Husbands, listen to what I'm writing to you. Both of you coming to understanding this and applying it will cause your prayers to be unhindered. So listen, we're having a lot of wondering why things are happening, why things aren't coming to pass, why things aren't working for us, and he says in Malachi, and he says over here in Peter, that your lack of understanding of the marriage covenant is hindering your prayers and the answers that come from it. So even when we're like, life is so hard, marriage is so hard, I've been asking God, have you been asking God, and then have you been renewing your mind to what God is saying to you? So, you know, I've been pastoring long enough that most of you have heard this, but, you know, uh, we're both very strong-willed. Tosh and I are both very strong-willed, and so this learning how to dwell with each other and with understanding, you know, uh, took a little bit of time. We're still working on it. Just to be honest with you, we're still working on it, because as we'll get into this, marriage is a moving target. Life changes at a very rapid pace. So when life changes and you try to adapt to those changes, then your understanding of how that person is has to move a little bit with that. But you know, I had a lot of things that I, ne- I didn't understand about marriage. It wasn't what I saw in my parents' marriage. Uh, uh, you know, whatever model I had of marriage. You know, we had an idea, a mindset about it. But it wasn't really fitting into my slot. And so I had to get in my Jeep started to think of my Jeep as the holy of holies. I would just get in my Jeep and start to drive. And the Lord would send me to scripture about my relationship with him and show me things about my relationship with him that I wasn't acting upon, that I was acting upon, that he acted upon, and how it affected our relationship for the positive and the negative and endeavor to teach me By His Word, how to be a better husband. So this renewing your mind to the Word of God. God created marriage, not me. His answer for marriage and the four times stronger concept the reflection of who he is, a Christ-like husband, a Holy Spirit-type wife, God in the center of that, that reflection of the Trinity coming forth from marriage, it's all right in here. But if we don't renew our mind to that, we just say, this isn't the way I expected it. This isn't the way my mom and dad did it. This isn't the way I thought. God made marriage, not you. It's going to take some time and some effort. Not if she would change, but God, what is it that you want me to do? How is it that you want me to change my mindset? How is it that you want me to love my wife like Christ loves the church? Because if I get to these 10 points someday, one of them is you can't change your spouse. You can't do it. The amount of time and effort spent by husbands or wives trying to change their spouse is insurmountable. I mean, if we took those hours and actually applied them to changing ourselves, marriages would probably be off the charts. And he told us to do that. So I'm just going to go off right there. Praise the Lord. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Mindset number six. Mindset number six. First service got mindset number one. You get mindset number six. Just going to close with this. Hopefully it'll help somebody. I know it seems a little random today. Sorry. Trying to follow the Holy Spirit, what's in my heart. And uh, I know he's more orderly than I am. He probably has it in order. I'm just trying to figure out the order. So, praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1. And I'm going to use a little liberty here. And I'm going to use your spouse in the place of your brother. Because you have that relationship. Anyway. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with What judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your spouse's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? All right, I'm going to preach over here. (laughs) Or how can you say to your spouse, let me remove the speck in your eye, and look, there's a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite. i not calling you all hypocrites. Jesus said this about this principle. First, remove the plank from your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your spouse's eye. So there's a real clear principle here that helps us. And I know none of us think we have a plank in our eye. But when all you can see is plank in your spouses, there's a good chance that there's a plank in your eye. Just think about it for a moment. Do this experiment when you go home. Right? Have your your spouse hold a little sliver up next to their eye. And then you take a board and put it here. (laughs) And tell me what you see. You're looking at them. And even if you make it a board kind of like this. You're looking at them. You know they're there. But all you see is board. You see the wood grain. If you look at it long enough, you can tell them exactly what the wood grain looks like. The flaws in it. The color of it. You're explaining it to them. They're not responding because it's not their board. They'll never change and conform to the image that you think they should because you're not looking at the little thing that needs to change. You're looking at your board. (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm not. Sure you are. Because once you remove the board, you're like, Aha, ain't you beautiful? (laughs) And let me help you with that little thing. Because I can help you with the little thing. Because that thing isn't nothing compared to the board that I had to work with. He's preparing us not to change each other, but to help each other. We're trying to change people, but if we change them to what we saw... We're always working against the wrong thing. So if we just look and say, if I looked at myself and the changes that could come to pass in my life, what do you want to do in me, God? What do you want to change in me? Do I have selfishness in my life? Is that disrupting my marriage? Is that disrupting other relationships that I have? Do I have covetousness in my life? Do I have anger in my life? Do I have insecurities in my life? That end up skewing everything that I see. Listen. Your insecurities when you look at it. You think everybody else sees you. The way your insecurity sees you. So you start blaming people. For issues that you come into. Because you believe they see you. The way that you're seeing. But if God can begin to change. And even get us to admit. There's probably a board there. If you're getting bored with marriage you probably have a board (laughs) because all you see is the same thing and it becomes hopeless that they'll ever change because all I see is the board but if you get the board you're like man this is a totally different perspective of life so marriage mindset number six I know this was a lot more about not being conformed to the world not buying into the world's words ideology, theology, but it applies to marriage and how we view marriage. We can't view it like the world does. So we have these 10 mindsets, and we'll get to those. You have number six. First service has number one. Some of you, I know that just throws you off. We're out of order, so you can go watch the podcast from first service and get mindset number one. Why don't you stand up with me? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We do magnify you. Pray, Holy Spirit, that each and every person grabs something today that you utilize in their life, that they can water it, cultivate it, bring forth fruit in their life. Help them in what you've called them to do, but help them in relationships within the church with one another and help them in their relationship, their family with their spouse. That we would realize that just buying into the world's talking points, though they seem subtle, affect how we think about the world around us. The view they have of marriage and gender will affect us if we listen to it. We have to renew our mind to your word. Then help us to realize the power of the marriage union that you've designed, the mindsets that go along with it. Help each one of us to not look around and spend a lot of time wondering how we're going to change everybody else. But let us trust in you and the love that you have for us, that we would truly put our heart in your hands and allow you to make the changes and instruct us in the changes necessary for us to step into all of the goodness that you have for us to walk in. Minister to every heart and every life, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. If you need prayer for anything, altar workers will be up here to pray with you. Um, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's a great day to enter into relationship with him. Just come up and say, you know what, I want to know Jesus. It's my Lord and Savior. They'll lead you in a prayer, talk to you about that, pray with you about that, and it'll drastically change your life as you enter into that covenant relationship with him. Say this, we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. For those of you that are being baptized, you can get yourself ready, uh, and we'll meet out front uh, at 1 o'clock, and we'll go to the river and be baptized.